Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. If you're not doing so already, you should definitely be following us on Facebook and Twitter. And by all means, if you're listening to us through iTunes, please, please, please leave us a review. Give us a rating. It would immensely help us not only feel better about ourselves and prove to our mothers that we're not failures, but also help other listeners find us on iTunes is crazy search algorithm so please do that we would greatly appreciate it i think i've already said that twice quentin let's get on with the show before i dig this hole any further okay i'll just say that we're good enough we're smart enough and gosh darn it people, people like, us. like us so uh what's the what's the hot topic for now for today? um i was thinking we would start with the rumors about a smaller displacement ducati scrambler some are calling it the scrambler 400 yeah it's been bounced back and forth between 400 and and 600 right yeah, pick a pick a displacement right. between 250 cc's and 600 yeah, i think small, the rumors smaller. have been there the, the question is 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 are they going to go single right and i just don't think that's going to happen knowing what i know of the 400s that ducati has produced over the past few decades i mean the japanese market had you know a, a 400 monster uh 400 ss right because of whatever I, the the licensing, I think you have said A2 licensing, and mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. Is that the stepped licensing program? Exactly. Okay. Which, by the way, we should talk about sometime because I think that is an absolutely necessary, amazing thing that should happen in the United States. Every state, federal law, stepped licensing. I wholeheartedly agree. I don't think it will ever happen. I know. And neither do I. But it's worth know. it's worth talking about. I think that's I think it's off the plate for today because we're. Sure. Already- Sat down and figured out what we're going to talk about. Yeah, no, today. no. But I just want to make sure as yeah, we're chatting. Yeah. So, bottom line is other uh, civilized, uh, high-level nations like Germany and Japan have stepped licensing programs. You can't just go buy. Did a you Dix just 1000. say Germany and Japan are civilized countries? Yeah, absolutely. They're like the axis of weird stuff that comes into this world. <laughs> you can literally okay. wrong can, adjective. I guess you can buy so many things out of a vending machine in Japan. And I'm not even going to get into the weird stuff, but like you can buy a beetle. Just a little scarab beetle out of a, a vending machine in Japan. That's weird. Sure. And Sounds Germany. Sounds like civilization to me. Germany. Germany thank is, you for your is a porn. victim of Germany or Florida. Which one's weirder? Right? Oh, man. Well, yeah. Florida, we should just. That's a whole nother. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So bottom line is that they have step licensing systems. You can't go out and as an 18-year-old go buy Jixer 1000. You can't buy Hayabusa, whatever. You have to go through a succession of, of uh, increasing displacement vehicles before you get to the next node. Um, that is where the 400cc Ducatis would have come into play. Because really, for a twin, 400ccs generally isn't, I mean, especially an air-cooled twin. I don't know what the horsepower number would be for those things, but we're talking 30s, like like low, like VTR 250 Honda, you know, power. Which do, you, is, do you think it'd be, I don't think it'd be air-cooled though. I feel like there's such a, a movement away from air-cooled engines, especially if you're a four now. Yeah, if they're going to, if they've already, I mean, the 800, which is what it is, is 800. Yeah. The Scrambler. It's an 803, yeah. Uh, is air-cooled. And why would you screw with that mm. any further than you have, right? I mm. mean, from a parts bin, Ducati is not big enough. People think it's a large corporation. It is a corporation, but there's more Honda engineers than there are complete Ducati people in the world ducati i mean not just in uh, in italy so it's not a very big company they only have so many production lines now if they use 
the production facility that they have in Thailand, maybe. But that production facility... Well, you, you know they're going to do that. Of course. They have to hit the but, price But points. they're making Panagales, Diavels. They're making other vehicles there. No, they don't come to the United States. So they only have, again, so much production-run stuff. Why gear up for a completely different machine that's like a you know, water-cooled 400? That just doesn't make any sense. I mean, the, the engineering that would have to go in to make a water-cooled 400... It just doesn't make any sense. Whereas they could just, you know, de-stroke, re-sleeve, simple, air-cooled. They've got the cylinder head. Basically, probably have the same castings that they've had for years. It doesn't take a lot of engineering to make a casting fit the newest, latest, greatest. The Scrambler is a single throttle body as it is. It's not even a dual throttle body engine, right? So because of that, it makes it even easier to just plug in, boom, a 400. The seat height's already low. They probably don't have to... They don't probably have to change any of the the frame geometry. I wouldn't imagine. It just will be a, a displacement, right? And then a bunch of parts bin stuff to make it cheaper. Okay, so you're saying that to take the 800cc current Ducati scrambler engine, they would just shorten or lengthen the stroke to uh, to make it 400ccs and just call it done, or or something thereabout. Similar, yeah. Between the bore, right? So here here's the deal when you got a a combustion chamber that's been shaped. You've it, it only if you neck down the, the the cylinder size to then then you have to have smaller valves. And sometimes your combustion chamber would be way too big, and then you'd be running into problems there. So they they're gonna have to have different castings for the heads. Um, but the CC size isn't too extreme. Like the change isn't so that there's a chance that you could use the heads from a from an older different model of machine than would fit and then you'd have the balance between the valve sizes and the piston size and then the stroke right because it's a balance of a, a good engine has a good balance of all those things whether whatever the rev limit is etc so these engines being kind of hemispherical combustion chamber two valve twins we're talking pretty low tech here right not say low tech i say old tech right so because it's old tech they can do that and it would be pretty simple whereas trying to industrialize a smaller four valve head that would be that would be a, a big ask and a, and a waste really it would just be a waste because you, you the, the the public doesn't need that they're making a 400 if you had a 400 that was a double overhead cam four valve head you could make that thing spin and make a lot of power of it that's not what this bike's all about this bike is get people down the road having fun in the land of joy <laughs> land of joy well you know it's funny you bring that up because it, it's very obvious in the way that ducati's been doing the marketing and the way that they've been interacting with people they don't really, in fact, if you go to the Ducati Scramble website, you'll have a really hard time finding the technical specifications. Yeah. You really got to hunt them down. They don't really talk about how big of a bike and the fact that it's an 800cc and because probably that would turn some people off. Oh, that's a big bike for a learner yeah, bike. Sure. They don't really talk about the horsepower. It's all the experience of, hey, you can go ride this to the beach. You can ride this around town. You can throw your girlfriend on the back. Look or how you can, cool you'll look on it. Look how great your beard looks on this bike. <laughs> And that flannel shirt matches that paint job. Absolutely. That white belt will pop when you're on this bike. <laughs> when when you were talking, though, I did it did strike me as interesting. So all the work you were just talking about with the uh, the cylinder and the heads and all that, plain devil's advocate, because I don't think it'll be anything other than a V-twin, but wouldn't it just be easier to go like Ducati Super Mono style and just lop off one of those heads and just make it a single? I wish I could tell you that it would, but no, it wouldn't. Because that's another work. engineering exercise. Yeah, everybody thinks that the Supermano's already been done. That was done 
25 years ago, 20 to 25 years ago, and that was Claudio himself. You look at one of those engines, it's a very trick thing, right? Very. Different castings. There's not very many shared parts on that machine to uh, a, a period 888, 851, 916. There really just isn't, right? So you would think it would be easy, but it's not because you have to balance the engine. And in order to balance the engine, you have to have this mechanism that they used, which was brilliant at the time, which basically used a dummy connecting rod that was poking at the top. It, it, there was many things that are that made that bike awesome. And yes, as an enthusiast, it kills me that Ducati hasn't tried to industrialize another single in the same exact way. Just makes no sense to me that they haven't gone down that road even a little bit. It kills me as, as an enthusiast. But with that said, there were some problems with that, and it would be a, a difficult thing to overcome some of those. I mean, really, if you look at the weight distribution of, uh, of, of a Ducati and of these engines, it actually might even be better to, to lop the other cylinder off and have it the vertical cylinder, not the horizontal. Um, for, anyway, either way, it's, 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 an, it's an exercise to, to make that happen. Could they? Sure. But then you end up with this very large, robust engine only feeding a, I don't know, 400 to 600cc single. And that really what the best thing is to just new, new drawing board, make a new single cylinder engine. Hopefully that's what they're doing. Right. And, and getting to that point eventually with a smaller scrambler. But now why, maybe they don't have to do that because they have an air cooled 400 that goes up against directly goes up against the uh, other manufacturers, bikes that are in the same CC area, but really it doesn't matter. Cause it, you know, the same person that's going to buy a 250 Honda, or 300, be they're like, on well, a sport bike. 500 cc's if it's A2 license. It, sure, fair enough. Okay, so if that's the if it's the licensing, but in America, that doesn't matter. So I guarantee you they're looking at America with the big crosshairs, and they're saying, okay, well, is the same person that's going to buy a CBR 500, is that what that, the 500 is called? The CBR 500, are they going to go after Scrambler? Probably not, but they're looking for a different demographic. They're looking for the, somebody that wants that cool retro look, but might want to pull from that. Like, hey, you could have had that Ninja 250, or you might have a Ninja 250, and you want something that is ostensibly the next step, and it's a 400, even though it's probably slower. Yeah, then they'll look cool, and they'll get a Ducati. Yeah, right? I, t I totally think. Like, you sit down and be like, hey... Which would you rather have, this smaller Ducati Scrambler or a Honda CBR 500? Like for me, like I'd take the Ducati any day of the week, twice on Sunday. Not I don't the, know. I'm not, not for that the me, CBR is not a bad bike, but it's just, you know, when the word Solus gets thrown around at like press launches, like those are the kind of bikes that yeah, like we're talking that's about. That's true. Yeah. Parallel twin, man. Yeah. It's a tough one. But say... It depends on the a different structure of different folks. If I'm if I'm going to go club race because I'm an enthusiast that is a racing enthusiast, I'm going to get the Honda. If I just want something to get around town and it's not going to really be a bother for me because I'm not going to go on long journeys that much, then I'd get yeah, sure the Ducati might be the way to go. But would that Honda come with a matching line of accessories and T-shirts? <laughs> I mean, that's fifty dollar that T-shirts. You're right. I I definitely need as many fifty dollar T-shirts as I can get. <laughs> It'll be it'll be interesting to see what that bike comes out and what it looks like. I can guarantee that Honda or Honda that Ducati will do the same thing they did with the Ducati Scrambler when it first came out with this smaller Scrambler, and it'll be all about that lifestyle push. It'll be all about yeah, we got you on a bike and we 
probably didn't make that much money selling you on the bike, but man, we're going to really get you on the accessories and the apparel and the lifestyle and hopefully, uh, hopefully, get you hopefully into another machine, get you that, on another Ducati later. That, that's, yeah. that's real because right now, unfortunately, I don't think the dealers are making a, a lot of money off the accessories. I think some of them are those who stock well and sell a lot. And there's a few of them that definitely could, I would just say it hasn't been as easy as it you would think it should be. It isn't Harley yeah. Davidson easy yet. I'll it say probably that. sounded a lot better on paper. And it's not that it was a bad idea. I, I just, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It's, I, it's more not, important to get them in so that they are in, in, ingratiated into the Ducati brand. And even though they bought something that looks like a quasi dirt bike that really isn't, they still have the aspiration of buying a, a Multistrada or a Panigale or you name the whatever, bigger, faster, more expensive, more profitable machine. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a loss leader, but it's not far from it. It's, yeah. It's getting sure. people in the door. Sure. Absolutely. Putting people in the pews as it yep. were. <laughs> uh, okay. I think we, I think we got that one. Yes. Nailed it. Check. Ducati Scrambler 400. Done. Drop the mic. Uh, <laughs> the next thing I wanted to talk about was the... Uh, Yamaha released these electric scooter concepts for the Tokyo Motor Show. There's a street bike, which is the PES2. You call it a scooter. I did what I saw was. Did I say scooter? scooter. I, didn't yeah. mean, I didn't mean scooter. Street no, bike. Street bike, yeah. Yeah. Although it's got pretty much the power of a scooter. They're talking it's going to be more or less about 50cc to 150cc power sure. range okay. type of yeah. uh, use case scenario, whatever. Okay. And then there's the PED2 which is their dirt bike concept. And obviously the, the two comes from the fact that Yamaha has already shown concepts up these veins before, and now they're just revising these even further. The one I saw was the, I mean, these were what looked like uh, renderings, right? There's not, there wasn't, there aren't hard parts, right? You know, it's always hard to tell with these things these days because you can, the, the way people or some of the photographers are working in post-process on yeah looks on their almost photos. like it's computer generated. it almost looks like it's computer generated. well the one that i saw it's close the it had the single-sided fork so it was a fork it was a telescopic round fork yeah you're talking about the pes2 okay the street bike right so that's what i saw which was really interesting because it had this hinge on the back of the fork which located the bottom of the fork to the top of the fork um, which i'd never really thought of somebody actually doing the, the way that's been dealt with in the past was say a cannondale um, Cannondale bicycle, I f they call it a lefty from what I remember. So a lefty has an octagonal or pentagonal shaft that goes through the fork. So the fork itself, you, from a distance, it looks like one tube and it looks like a circle, but it's not, or a, cil a cylinder. It's actually this weird, uh, either octagonal or hexagonal or whatever, uh, piece that has these linear bearings that run in it. This is something that we did at CIS, actually. The first iteration of the uh, fork, and I forget what they called the fork. but Six flex? Or yeah, six hex flex. That's right, exactly. So that the first iteration had these horrible, just tragically bad uh, bearing system set up. It, it's really difficult to make that work. I'll say that, right? So it was similar to what was in that lefty, but that's a problem. Well, Yamaha obviously just said, well, we'll just put a hinge on the back of it. It looks really cool. I thought that was interesting. Couldn't tell if the hub had the had a motor in it in the front, it but does. it almost looked like that was a well, motor in hub situation, yeah, Honda, right? Yeah, or Honda. Yamaha, I got to get these manufacturers straight. I, everyone, your, I just want everyone Honda to be, Mamaha? Honda's your Mamaha. On the, Honda's on the brain tonight. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, it's just weird. I drive a Toyota. 
Um, yeah, Yamaha in their press release said that there's a hub motor in that front wheel. What they don't say is whether or not it's two wheel drive. I feel like if if it was, they would they would have said that and they would have made a bigger thing out of it. Instead fact, of what do you think it's front wheel drive? I don't know what I think to be honest. That would be kind of cool, actually. I'd love to to be on a. I've always fantasized about a front wheel drive bike just to see what it's like. Just I mean, everybody's like, oh, but you can't wheelie. Well, I don't know. I'd be curious to see what. Yeah, a, I mean, there's there's a belt drive going to the rear wheel, so I, I would. So you know it's driving, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the only thing one person I think in the comments did bring up it could just be there for regenerative purposes. I don't think that's the case, but that uh, makes sense. Um, sure. Yeah. So I would. Yeah, maybe it is a two wheel drive. You you would it would be kind of strange to make a system that only is regen uh, when you you know and I know how simple it is to just make it power make it regen right. make it power right if you can make it regen you can make it give power exactly so in so, fact in fact making it regen is harder than just making it absolutely drive. by a long shot so that the fact that they had gone to that length is of note right and I think that is awesome as a person that owns a two wheel drive motorcycle. I am stoked by that. So I thought that was cool. I'd be really curious to try it and um, see how it goes. I think that could be interesting. Now, it'll be, of course, interesting to see, like, having that much unsprung weight in the front of the wheel, in the front wheel, I should say, uh, how that affects the drive and all that. But it's, it's, it's yeah, I think to use a quintanism, it's of note. I'd rock it. Totally. I want to see it. I'm more curious. They have piqued my interest for yeah. both of them. I don't know with the, with the front end, with that with that weird fork setup. If that's just um, a solution looking for a problem kind of thing. Well, think or about there, all the or if there's a you're technical about, reason. You're talking about um, unsprung weight, right? Well, imagine if you just eliminated the lower half of a stanchion of a fork, right? That's I know it's... it's At the loss of front-end rigidity. Possibly, but maybe not. How much front-end rigidity do you, do you need is, you know, the, uh, the engineer's pretty smart. If, it's a, if the total weight of the bike isn't too extreme and they have... Uh, figured out the stiffness of of a tube uh, and that tube's big we can't tell from the drawings but if it's a 50 mil tube that's like the pillar of hercules big and it would be plenty stiff for the total weight of the bike if it's engineered as such right so i, I it could be very cool that's the cool part of it is that it makes you just speculate. You yeah, look at the picture and all you see is that and you just want to just, just speculate, which, uh, which is a good thing. That's a very enthusiastic thing. The dirt bike is whatever, the dirt bike. I, I will say this. I was reviewing some videos I had done, just you know, GoPro of riding dirt bikes with friends this past weekend uh, in the woods. I was thinking how nice it would be if, I, if there was no engine sound, right? I have to admit. I like engines. I'm a petrol head guy, but... Uh, having ridden electric bikes, I would think it'd be very neat to just kind of zing through the forest without this obnoxious, loud thing. So there's that. I don't think we can talk about electric bikes in the woods with the fact that the Star Wars trailer just came out and not reference just a speeder yeah. going through. Sure. Was that Hoth or whatever? Endor. I forget what planet they're on. Endor. Endor, or the original, right? The, the If you're talking about... Um, Return of the Jedi, yeah, yeah, the, the, sure, of course, Northern California, right? That's the dream. And I would love that. It would make me very happy. Zzz, gone, right? But some people want the brap, right? They want that loud, obnoxious, blatty, farty, single cylinder sound. Fair enough. Yeah, no, okay. I think I think we're repeating ourselves. I, I totally, I was just riding around on my Street Fighter today. It's the loudest, clankiest bike on the market. I love it, but... When I hop on an electric bike, I realize how much I don't miss that sound. 
Like I get, I get, I get both sides of that argument yep. where like, oh, I like loud pipes. They save lives. That sounds great. <laughs> There's a visceral connection there. Sure. But when I hop on an electric bike, I also am like, I kind of like the peace and quiet. I kind of like the fact that I can hear the road noise from the tires. It's just weird. Anyways, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. I think the biggest takeaway from these concepts is the fact that Yamaha is exploring electrics. And this is the second time that they've kind of iterated both these concepts at the Tokyo Motor yeah. Show. Yeah. which I think is very telling. They're obviously thinking very much about this. In fact, we were supposed to see these bikes come into production by now. So I don't know why they're not production ready, or I don't know if maybe that announcement is coming at the show in Tokyo or what the holdup is, but you can definitely get the sense that Yamaha is so close to pulling that trigger on some sort of electric motorcycle that's not like a scooter concept or not a around town, just kind of... Or, super cub kind of thing or they just got their designers they, they, they've spent a little money to get some images out there and now they're forcing the rest of the industry to say oh we better waste a bunch of time energy and effort on electric bikes and they're just like ha, yeah look at the sweet r1 yeah, maybe ah. but i mean you gotta remember too and maybe you know this is because i wrote the article and you don't have the benefit of seeing it but the the previous version of this the pes1 was yeah. a functioning motorcycle. Yeah, sure. They, right. It was a yeah. runner. No, I remember that. Okay. So, I mean, like, it's one of those things, like, so it's not them just kind of, you know, pulling our chains. I mean, if they, if they are, they're doing a really good job of it. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. I just have that in my head. I'm a conspiracy theorist type of person, you know, skeptic. So, I, without them being tangible, obviously not being ridden, if you show me a video of the thing being ripped around a track, Maybe I'd be a little bit more of a believer. I don't understand why they haven't done that if those exist, right? Well, I mean, the other thing, too, these things are so dang light, they can't have a lot of battery on on board. So I don't yeah, know how true. many, like, they'd probably make, like, two, three laps around PIR and be done. No, they're going to have to fix that. Next order of business or something that's of interest was the article about Mission Motors and how it uh, affected Apple. Uh, do you want to comment on that one? Well, it was more, it was more Apple affecting Mission Motors, uh, you know, according to the story out of Reuters. So the story there that was published and then obviously picked up through the tech sector, the mainstream news and motorcycling news was that Apple poached these engineers, these top level, these high quality engineers from Mission Motors in San Francisco to bring them on to work on Apple's like top secret electric vehicle, electric car, autonomous electric car. I mean, we don't really know what Apple's working on because they haven't even admitted to the project being uh, being uh, real. But the, the story goes that, you know, Apple, this big, the most valuable company in the world, you know, is killing the little guy and, and taking their talent away from them, which is a very common thing and a little bit of an issue in Silicon Valley, to be honest. That's that's what that story is that's trying to touch on. It's a normal operating procedure. It's a normal operating procedure in business, but it's it's kind of this thing in the San Francisco Bay Area and the startup community where it's like, okay, so you get this startup and you've got these really smart people and you're doing something really cool. And then, you know, Google or Facebook or whomever comes and, and poaches them off of you and to be fair, it totally goes the other way around where you see these really smart people leave Apple, leave sure, Google, leave Facebook sure. to go start up their little passion project or this little project that got spun out or whatever it is. So that's an interesting space. And then, you know, I think there's some interesting motivations behind that story's existence in the first place, just in the sense that, you know, the investors in Mission Motors are probably out there now trying to recoup on their investment. And Mission Motors had a lot of intellectual property and that has value. And wouldn't it be nice if there was some buzz in the industry space right now while they're trying to unload that property? 
and that's probably part of what we're seeing there. So but that's yeah. the clickbait part of it, is that it was just well, a, hey, look at me, I need to talk about mission right now. It's a very lurid story because you put Apple in there and that automatically is going to get all the Apple fanboys and it automatically grabs headlines and it's in, you know, it's, you know, I saw it. And I was like, huh, what's this about? Now, the downside is, or I should say the, the counterpoint is, is Mission Motors and Mission Motorcycles are two companies I know a great deal about. I've uh, broken a lot of stories on on them been very fortunate in that regard. I was very fortunate to be the first journalist to ride the Mission R, which was the Mission Motors electric motorcycle that raced at Laguna Seca and blew away the competition there. And, you know, is is probably the most well-remembered part of that company, which then later got spun out into its own project with Mission Motorcycles, which was a company that was formed by Mark Seeger and uh, his associates to bring the Mission R, which then became known as the Mission RS, to market. So it's very, it's a very confusing plot line with very similar sounding names, similar sounding companies, products changing name, the Mission R became the Mission RS, and then a Mission R, a second Mission R was made, which was really just a lower spec Mission RS, although I don't think that bike even. It was not. A, I don't think that bike ever, ever existed outside of Photoshop. It was like vaporware, right? Most well, of the stuff. It was, there was one bike. Is that it? No, there was more than one bike, but it was vaporware in the sense of the bike I rode from Mission Motors uh, headquarters in Soma, which is south of Market District in San Francisco. We rode from there across the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, up Mount Tam, down near uh, Muir Woods, and then back. We didn't even get back into the city. Ran out of battery at the Golden Gate Bridge again. And that was because this this bike had been abused on the racetrack, and Steve Rapp had given it the rapture. And uh, <laughs> oh, that's good. The rapture. You like that? That was the headline. That nice was the headline I wrote. I was yeah. like, oh, I've peaked professionally at a too early of an age. Um, but it but it was very much like that. That was the technology in the bike, and it was a great racing platform. But it wasn't really ready for the rigors of consumer consumption it wasn't up for the duty cycles that a consumer was going to use it for it wasn't up to you said duty cycle <laughs> we're that we're at that point in the podcast huh <laughs> drink your mountain dew and let the adults oh uh, that's the problem i shouldn't have the mountain dew <laughs> it gets you a little feisty mm-hmm. you're not leaving you to one can i think okay, you're not I'll, ready I'll for go two by cans. that i'll limit myself i'm like three cans deep and look at me i'm maintaining uh-huh. you got to step it up son uh-huh. duty cycle <laughs> My uh, is it bad? I'm, my, my, I'm beyond my duty cycle. Uh, you've had you've had too many dues in your duty cycle. <laughs> All right, sorry. This is good. Okay, journalism. so the the I'm trying to talk about a serious topic here. Clint. Yeah, you are. Uh, <laughs> now I'm off track. But yeah, the bike, the bike. You know, it just it was it was an amazing machine. It was a fantastic machine. It but just it's dead. It's long dead. It's dead. Like the, even even there's no there's no plausible way that this this manufacturer uh, will manufacture. Well, the, no, 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 no. Both both companies are now done and done, and they have been for a while. Right? Well, yeah. I mean, it'd be you have to, the one the one that's not the motorcycle company has been going through death rattles for the past couple of years, hasn't it? Yeah. So Mission Motors had this long decline, and and you know, it's it'd be a great it'd be a great uh, case study in like business school for like a startup because it, it went through so many classic startup things. Like you know, it it was started originally. And it was called Hum Cycles, and I think somewhere in 2009 it became Mission Motors, and that's when they came out with the Mission One, which was this bike that I found attractive, I found it appealing, but I think it was just too far out there to what most mainstream motorcyclists were. Yeah, it looked it to me. It looked yeah. like something conjured up out of a product design majors 
I don't know, wet dream senior thesis that he just trying yeah. so hard to make it look like a almost an architectural thing. Yeah. It was it was a really bizarre looking thing. Right. Fair enough, they wanted to make it pop so that people would pay attention to it. Okay, but it was it was contrived. It was a mess. It was a mess. I think that's the fairest thing to say. It was a mess. And 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 to to be fair, then the company pivoted and they came out with with the bike I rode, the Mission R, and that thing was beautiful. Looked good. Performed well. Oh, there's so many there's so many cool trick bits about that when that bike when you got up close with it, and it it ran great and it had made good power. It was heavy. You know, it's like most of these electric superbikes. It was heavy, but it was fun to ride. I would totally, if I had like the 60 grand or whatever to blow on something like that or whatever they were hoping to charge for it, eh, charge, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, I would totally put one in my garage if I had FU money out coming out my butt. But, you know, on the flip side of that, then you see Mission Motors, they, they go through, they have this like internal power struggle and, you know, they kick out one of the founders and then shortly after like another founder leaves and, you know, this, this second generation leadership comes on board and they shift gears from creating an electric they don't motorcycles. Shift gears, there's no gears, man. Oh, man, you're just killing me with the puns. <laughs> just be quiet. Shh. You're so sleepy. You're the one that said charge. <laughs> you're so, you're so, you're so right. sleepy. Go to sleep. You're so sleepy. Um... They they pivoted to being an electric vehicle uh, drivetrain provider and, you know, basically follow the investor money that way, which is a very transformative period in any startup when you start, you know, looking, following the money and following what the investors want. And you've lost control of kind of the original business plan. And, and two, like there's plenty of companies that started out doing product A or, or service A and, and, and had to move on to service B, service C, product A or product sure. B, product C. And that, and that's the story of their success. So, you know, it cuts both ways, but it was interesting to see that. And, you know, from the fruits of that labor, we saw an interesting electric car project with Honda that ended up racing at Thunder Hill and was about to win this endurance race. And this is a fun story. I don't think a lot of people know about they, it was, a was it a, it wasn't a Prius. What was it? CRV? CRV is the a fit. No, 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 no. It was, it was before, fit. no, it was before the fit. It was the, not the Oh, it's going to bother me. I'm, I'm I keep going to CRV, but that's the SUV type car. This is the like Honda Civic kind of coupe. Nah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Whatever it was, it was a hybrid drivetrain. Yeah. The hybrid, com- the electrical drive component of it was made by Mission. And the car was about to win this race. And they come in for the pit stop and they go to refuel it with gasoline. Spill gas, thing catches on fire. They finally, by the time they get that all sorted out and, and extinguished and get it back on the track, they finished third, I believe. So huh. they, they would have won the race if it wasn't for the fossil fuel elements of it. So that, that's interesting and, and of note. But this also came about, we saw the, um, they powered the Mugen team. Uh, is, that, the is that out in the open? Yeah. Like that was yeah. a known, yes, they powered. That's another story that we reported and broke. Okay. Uh, and then they also uh, did a lot with the Harley Davidson Livewire. Harley Davidson Livewire. They absolutely, they built about 20 bikes for Harley Davidson. So the electric drive components there were Mission Motors built to Harley Davidson use spec. So like, you know, Harley Davidson gave them a very specific criteria for what the motorcycle would be used for, you know, and that, and that played very much into the hand of Harley Davidson was like, okay, we're going to take these live wire bikes. And the only thing we're going to do with them is get some journalists and get some consumers. And they're going to go on like this prescribed, you know, 10 to 20 mile ride through a city or, you know, on a course that we've arranged and they're only going to go as fast as 60 miles an hour. They're only going to go as fast as, you know, 70 miles an hour. And they're only going to go this far for this long. And, you know, Mission was able to build a bike around those specifications. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure Harley Davidson was the one that came up with the look and feel of the machine. But it's all very much very 
powered by mission. And, uh, unfortunately for them, that was kind of where things ended. Like that's, and at this point in time too, they also had, they had a ton of engineers. So you have a huge payroll that you're having to bankroll and you just don't have the money coming in. And so we start hearing of brain drain. We start seeing engineers leaving on their own accord. We hear of layoffs occurring there. And that's where the, um, the Reuters uh, article. And that's kind of where the, the Reuters article kind of picks up. And, and the they're basically, that entire story comes about from the, the CEO during this time, Derek Kaufman, basically saying, hey, you know, we were about to get funding, but all of our engineers left and went to Apple, and that's their fault. Like, we didn't get the funding because the engineers left. And it's like, well, you know, anyone following this company at that point in time, anyone familiar with how Silicon Valley works and or especially what's going on with Mission Motors and what's going on in the motorcycle space is they're going like, you know, you guys were a sinking ship long before Apple came along. And and by the way, like, is it really poaching an engineer when like they're jumping off your sinking ship? It's like saying like, oh, you know, that, that boat that was like the first responder to the Titanic was, were they poaching customers out of the water when they were grabbing all these like Titanic refugees? Like, no, come on. That's, that's not how that was at all. Uh, so it was a very elegant, uh, retelling of the truth. And, uh, the, the biggest shame really is just any, any professional journalist uh, worth their weight in salt would have realized that. And I think, and, and it's interesting because there was a number of mission motors people quoted in that story. And I can only imagine them giving the very different narrative back to that reporter. And obviously it didn't make it into the story. There's, there seemed to be an agenda there, but I, we won't really know. It, it, it was disappointing to me because readers is such an irrespected news service to see such kind of like a, a hack job of a story published and then picked up by so many other people is a little disconcerting on, on what it says about the media space right now. Well, it's, it's disconcerting to hear this company that was in bed with some really heavy hitters, right? To be to be involved with HD uh, is of note, and so is uh, Honda. I mean, it's Honda. Why, when, did, when does Honda ever outsource anything? Well, right? It's not that common. So to, for that uh, to you know to put themselves in a in such a bad position uh, afterwards, <laughs> a missionary position, if you will, then what the what how how could they position themselves so this poorly is the after, after hours that podcast? I see. <laughs> uh, we've turned that turn. <laughs> Sorry, but no, seriously, that's it. It boggles my mind that they could ruin what they had. They that they somebody that was so poorly managed that it couldn't it couldn't come out of it with a little something something. Yeah, right? it, it, it's it's a shame that nothing came of it, and that's and and that part I can't really speak to because that's that's business confidential. What was of note at the time when those deals were going down, you know, for for outsiders like me, you know, when we talk about it, it's like is Honda really giving them a job are they really interested or is that a like here's a problem we want to see how you solve it not because we're interested in the problem being solved but we're interested in seeing how you come up with solutions and where you are compared to maybe what we already have so i think that's a great way to benchmark yourself against someone and and do it in a very financially cheap way of doing it like you don't have to acquire mission motors just give them a problem to go solve see how they deal with it I can tell you a lot because I know, I know just from my dealings in the industry, like Honda has been working on an electric motorcycle for 20 years. We hear these reports, you know, like, you know, like a really quiet motorcycle just went on the test track and came back into the, the engineering bay. Hmm. You know, like this isn't, this isn't a technology. The first, the first vehicles, you know, the first car sure. was electric. Sure. We, had, we had electric cars before we had petroleum cars. Sure. sure. So, you know, this isn't like, like a really new technology. It's just a new way of thinking about the technology and, and applying it. Well, trying to use uh, other technologies that have come about in the past 
century to make it a viable thing, which is very difficult to do. Still yet, to, it is still going to be difficult because it's hard to package that much uh, energy into right. a, a, a small right. space on a motorcycle. And that's the Achilles heel. That's the Achilles heel of the electric vehicle space. And it, and it will be until we get the next battery technology or the next energy storage technology. Because uh, when you look at just where lithium ion technology is, as far as packaging energy into a physical dimension, like it kind of works on cars because cars have a lot more space to deal with. And that's like Tesla can kind of make a viable product for the, for the consumer market. But when you look at a motorcycle, you know, has about four gallons of gas, give or take, uh, for a street bike, you know, some bikes, obviously tours and adventure bikes have these huge, like six, seven gallon tanks. And some bikes like my street fighters got like a, or my hyper's got like a, a three gallon tank usable on it, but about four gallons, let's just say, and how much energy is stored in the gasoline in that tank, how much kinetic energy, how many, how many kilowatts of energy is stored in that, in that tank. And you can say, okay, well, electrics are maybe three times more efficient in, as far as taking stored energy and turning it into locomotion, um, just because of system efficiencies and, and what have you. Um, but even with that, like, to, to replicate how much energy is in a four gallon tank and, and turns into locomotive locomotive use for the, for the rider to put that in terms of like a battery pack, like you're talking about a battery pack that's going to weigh like 500, 600 pounds. You're talking about, you know, like a 50 kilowatt hour battery pack, you know, until you can get something like that packaged in a motorcycle form factor into something that doesn't weigh you know, 500, 600 pounds, you know, it needs to weigh like a hundred pounds and like 150. Cause when you think about what the chassis has to weigh, how much the motors weigh, and then you still have like the wheels and all the gears and all that stuff and the switch gear and headlights, like to make a 400, 500 pound bike, like we're so far away from that. We're not close to that, that point at all. And I don't see, you know, we make a lot of progress with lithium ion batteries each year and they make these steps, but to make that step to where it truly will be energy parity, and like, then we can have like use parity and we can start talking about like uh, range in meaningful ways. Cause like you sit there and you say like, Oh, it gets a hundred miles on this like 10 kilowatt hour pack. And you're like, yeah, not really. If you're like doing 20, not if you're riding as you normally, not ride. if you normally ride, as you normally ride. And that's, and that's the biggest disservice to, to the entire industry is to try and pretend like that's the case. Cause it's not. Um, and that is the beauty, unfortunately of a piston engine, whether it be a air cooled two valve twin or a, a water-cooled four-cylinder double overhead can. I mean, they, the the tractability of a of a piston engine is amazing, and it really is going to take a lot to overcome that. It it just is. So, it's great though to see the sharp end of this now. Over the past few years, having worked at CIS, knowing all the people that I know in it, being in it, having ridden the Energica, having ridden the Bramos, I I love it. I'm into it. I'd love to see it succeed. But I also am bummed to see it go the way it, it has, right? Uh, yeah, I think we need to have a I think we need to sit and have a tick about it because there it definitely where we're at right now, I think definitely works in certain form factors. Um I think there's a great you can make a great compelling argument for like a motocross bike, you can make a great compelling argument for like a supermoto bike. Scooters make tons of sense. Um sport bikes not so much, obviously not tours, but Maybe a hybrid drivetrain works. Maybe where you have a, a yeah. gas or diesel generator, sure. and then, then you can start talking about maybe fuel cells where the final drive or the final engine is that electric motor. Yep. And it's being powered by something else. Yep. And so we get rid of this whole 
the fuel time and like another part i come back to like recharge time so like let's say we get to these 50 kilowatt hour battery packs do you know how much energy it's going to take to to put 50 kilowatt hours of battery back into one of those packs like you look at what our grid is capable of like uh voltage lines are like 400 volts or something like that your house is wired at what 30 amps 15 amps in some yeah, yeah. Spots. it's a matter of math you It'd know like you, you, you can't get around the physics sure. of it it's sure. it's volts times amps you know like it's just that's how long it's going to take and until you it's just what are you going to do you're going to have to start charging things at like 400 amps and 400 or the volts. infrastructure would have to be put in place and there's that's plausible that they could do that. And it is. And you like, you could do battery to battery charging and, and then that like does like a time shift with the recharge on the charging battery. I mean, it's a whole, it's a you whole know what I'd like to thing. have is a whip coming off the back that I could just follow the, like the tram lines in, in the Bay, in the Bay area. Like a bumper car. Or, well, yeah. You know, yeah, like would, it, like it hits the would, ceiling. Yeah, I'd be, I'd, right. I'd, it would hit, like I could be on one of the, what is the trolley in the San Francisco? Well, that's could, a cable car, but like the, the Muni has the, the, sure, the, the thing on the top, thing. right? Yeah. yeah. The Muni, right. Municipal. So I, that would be kind of cool. Let's figure out a way to to whip it, whip it good, right? You, you just, <laughs> It'd be like the Devo. You don't, even, you don't even care about doing that. You just want to make the whip it joke. <laughs> no, <laughs> I see right through you. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I just thought of it. It's genius. Uh, the mission, uh, the missionary position. <laughs> missionary position. Hi, mom. All right. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. All right. I think it's that's it's. Oh uh, yeah. What do you want to talk about next? Oh, don't confuse me with that. I don't know. I don't remember. There's so many different little you don't things. Have, you don't have notes in front I of you, do you? I don't have notes. I've, I've just <laughs> got just this fucking this amateur hour here. Jeez right, totally. Louise. I'm just, I've, I want the mic. I got the mic. I don't want to drop the mic. I want it right in front of my face. I want to talk about whatever you got. You want to talk about Michael Locke on AMA Racing? Yeah, sure. That's great. AMA that's good so Michael Locke was my boss at Ducati from, I mean, he interviewed me. Him and uh, and my immediate boss uh, interviewed me back in 2009. I got along gangbusters with the guy and was with him through, I can't remember what year he left, probably 2011. I can't remember exactly, though. It was a dark time once he left. So I respect Michael quite a bit, and uh, I am I, glad to see him. And a part of the industry in the United States, he's been... Uh, Working as a consultant for AMA Pro Racing for a while now, I think it's shown in that there's more eyeballs on flat track than there have been in a very long time. And now he's going to be involved at at kind of in a global AMA Pro Racing level. Now, with that said, a lot of people think AMA Pro Racing is all the racing that you see that's AMA branded. Well, that's not necessarily the case. So Supercross is not under that and neither is uh, road racing, right? Road racing is Moto America. Supercross is, I can't remember the name of the company that basically owns Supercross, but it's sanctioned by AMA because they need an FIM sanctioned entity to be you know, part of the world. The, uh, I can't remember what FIM stands for, exact federal, oh God, what is it, FIM? Well, it's French. Yeah, but yeah it, it translates into the International Federation of Motorcycles. There we go. Okay, Federation. So that is what uh, the, the, the leftovers after that are whatever AMA Pro Racing's got. So it's going to be flat track. It's probably, I don't know, some some of the off-road stuff. There might be some sort of district stuff that's, that's out there. It'd be interesting to know exactly what 
he is going to be controller of. But it's all under Jim France, which is all under NASCAR, right? So it's it's part of that still. Yeah, you know, that's the interesting thing too, because I, I don't really know what AMA Pro Racing is now after the road racing being divested to, to Moto America. I think it really just is flat track. So there's there's him getting in, digging in and trying to make that uh, bigger than what it has been and frankly for decades, right? Flat track is well, maybe our, maybe there's hill climb and Yeah, hill climb for sure, but I can't remember what else um, ATVs. Yeah, not not a whole lot, right? Supermoto part of it too? Yeah. Yeah, so supermoto. So there might be they might be looking at the like the way it was described to me is that once once the they'd sold off the rights to the road racing side, uh, Supercross has been gone for a very long time. Somebody else got that and has had that as their baby for a really long time, and that's been good. Okay, one less thing for them to deal with. Once road racing was brought in <clears throat> under the wing of DMG, Daytona Motorsports Group, and it was an abject failure, right? Uh, that, that let them kind of... Uh, well, that, 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 I think they wanted out of that, and they got Moto America to get it out. Now they can, they have this thing, this entity, the flat track specifically. Would you say it was a bad deal? It was a bad deal, but it is what it is. Okay, so um, uh, they then have these things left over, and this was how it was explained to me. They got these things like, well, what are we going to do with this? Just let it sit there and fester, or are we going to build it? We're we going to do something with it, flat track specifically, because it is a nationwide, pretty bitching thing to watch it's flat a track's very amazing i love watching flat track racing and it should be bigger than what it, it is it should be yeah. so they said all right we're gonna have you come in and do some consulting so michael had done that this year and i guess i haven't talked with anybody involved but apparently they said hey all right we like what you've done why don't you come in and run this gig and we'll see what we can do for 2016 on and make it better and hopefully they will because you can imagine the the world's his oyster he could he could figure out ways to get this to different tracks to better places flat track can be done frankly at any horse track right so there's places out there it takes it takes getting through to the good old boy network and that might be horse racing good old boy network might be dog racing good old boy network but seriously that's the type of stuff right even halfway through the year i remember michael asking me hey what are there any tracks up in the in the northwest that we might look into? And I, you know, I had to explain to them Delta Park, and there's a place out in, in uh, Troutdale. You know, hey, Castle Rock. Well, Castle Rock's already there, but that's a <laughs> TT track, and they wanted yeah. a big. The show for flat track is a mile, man. Yeah. That is an amazing. Yeah. It's chilling. I am actually getting chills right now thinking about it because I got to go to Sacramento earlier in the year. It is mind-boggling. It is scary. I'm not gonna lie. It's I scary. I would not want to. No, that. not at all. Watching the fear in the faces of some of these guys and these are seasoned veterans specifically though for me it was i went down there mainly to see troy bayless right because mm -hmm. i'm a a big fan and you know at the time being a, a guy on a troy bayless on a ducati race in a mile that's amazing so seeing his face before getting on the bike and he ended up getting hurt in that race yeah I and mean, there's a fear got, that's hard to a little explain. bit hurt he got really hurt yeah he did uh but really hurt as far as broken bones that are he, he's healing right it wasn't like he broke his neck, but could. That's the thing. Every one of those guys is looking around this track a mile. I don't know, 135, 140 miles an hour on the dirt, going a corner, no front brakes, sliding. I mean, it's a. It's and when you amazing. crash, you hit a hay bale. Yeah, if that, right? Yeah. So that's what makes it 
amazing though. That's what makes it so profound. Okay. This is, this is gladiator level shit, right? So I like that. And I think a lot of that, the, the thing is how to explain this to other people that it's not, you know, dirt is for potatoes style. I don't like dirt. Right. And, they, and you get that. And I was one of those people for a really long time. Dirt sucks. Dirt hurts. Right. Now I'm, I can appreciate this heavily. Right. I, I guess I did even, even going to Del Mar back in the early 2000s. This is a mile track that's near San Diego and it had a cushion and you'd watch the guys throw a rooster tail up. I swear to God, it was like three stories high. That's a cool thing to watch, but you don't get a chance to see it that often because it's just not in, as much in the collective conscience as it should be with motorcyclists. And I think that's, that is the job of Michael is to get that flat track in the collective conscience, right? So I'd be fascinated to see how it goes. If it was me, if you want to, let's go off on a, on a tangent here. I would love to see a super prestigio like entity. So the super prestigio is what Mark Marquez has put on for the past well, couple of years. They're, they're doing a super prestigio in the U.S. Yes, this they year are. But hold Vegas. on, you, you follow, follow this get, though. Did I get too far ahead of you? Well, yeah. So they 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 did the super prestigio in in uh, Spain, right? Yeah. Seventeen inch wheels, basically yeah. supermoto bikes super moto with reins, with reins yeah. right? Simple bikes that already exist for these guys they train they use supermoto bikes right you you could use your your dirt bike that you would have already set up you swap forks shock and wheels now i know it's it, i'm dumbing it down because it takes more than that but really that's about all it is you could use the same engine you could have a series that had the same engine that people would go ride their dirt bikes they could go ride motocross supercross uh, enduro races then get on a super motorbike have that as the same basic structure and then get on a flat track with these 17s it's sacrilege to flat trackers because they are used to a very specific 19 inch wheel with a very specific tire it's the, then the same goddamn thing for probably that 50 Dunlop. whatever well now there was good years dunlops yeah. maxis i don't know what right now what the hot thing is but generally i think dunlops the only one that's uh, worthy but i don't even know and the fact that i don't know is a problem right all i know is that that that's the, the if they did it to the point where it was 17s and they made a series say if they use their supermoto and they got it to the point where say jake gagne in order to get a grand national championship, not AMA Superbike, not Moto America Superbike Championship, but say Jake Gagne or Cameron Bobier, Josh Hayes, in order to get a grand national championship, which is something they used to do, you've got to go win a superbike race, you've got to win a mile, you've got to win a TT, and you've got to win a short track. Well, I'm not saying it's do the same thing because you're not going to get on a mile with bike with 17s, right? I, I get that. But what I'm saying is there could be a cool championship that allows one rider to go race their 600, race their 1,000 in the, in the Moto America, but then use your same livery, similar number scheme, whatever, get on a, on a uh, supermoto bike and go to a X amount of supermoto tracks, road race style, right? Lefts, rights, whatever, and then use that same machine to race a super prestigio-like short track, right? It would force... Uh, anybody that wants to be the grand national champion or a high level champion to do to 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 go through through multiple levels of skill, which are multiple disciplines, right? That would be what I, I would love to see happen in the United States, because then I think that would help breed champions and on the world stage. Because right now, that's why Mark Marquez is a bad mother. You watch the videos of him and his brother riding dirt bikes. It's like they're riding flat track both ways on a flat country out in the on on farmland it's not like they're going out and riding supercross and doing doubles 
right? Not that that's not a bad thing, but that's not the skill set they need. They need the bike control sliding around sideways, lefts and rights. Not a, lot of, not a lot of jumps in MotoGP. No, right? Exactly. They don't race Cadwell, even though they should. I'd they love should. to see oh, that. Oh, that's man. a bucket list. Can you imagine them? But with, the, with the Ducati, with the fins, it would go off the jump and they'd keep flying, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Our buddy, uh, buddy of mine, Scott Jones, photographer. You've seen his work on asphalt and rubber, I'm sure. Amazing stuff. He went to Caldwell and just, yeah. It's great. Great, great photos from there. And sure. All my British uh, journalist friends, you know, it's it sounds like a cool place. And BSB is such an awesome domestic series. We're seeing James Raspoli's over there now. Um, and he's doing well. He's doing well. Yeah. And That's all because of Ben Fox, though. Our, our friend Ben Fox. Yeah, that's, like, that's the only reason Raspoli is doing well. I don't even... Is he, I don't even know if James is getting on the bike. I think Ben Fox is riding the bike. <laughs> it's either that or his sideburns, one of the two. Oh my God. <laughs> so, Bob, I don't, I didn't want to, I didn't mean to hijack that so badly, but that I think uh, maybe, maybe it's my job to implore Michael Locke to do something like that if there's any way you can. That'd I, be I got awesome. him this number. Let's call him up right now. Okay. Let's do this. <laughs> Hey, 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 Mike, it's uh, it's only 930 at night on your Friday. Right. And he's East Coaster. So it's, uh, you know, pretty late, right? He's probably he's probably on British time. No, oh, totally. He's probably not a little <laughs> cup of tea right now. Anyway, that's, so I think that's good news. And I'm uh, I, I wish the whole entity luck, especially Michael. Yeah, I think I think it'd be great. I mean, I think absolutely AMA Pro Flat Track needs to elevate its itself. There's no reason it can't. I know I'm getting my my phone's blowing up the last few weeks with them calling me and they want to be out there and we're trying to figure out what asphalt and rubber with a name like that can can do to cover ama flat track in a meaningful way because it's something i'm so interested in i love i love going out to the indie mile i haven't gotten to see a short track race yet i've only seen i've, only, I've been spoiled i've only seen the mile uh and i was greatly disappointed that the indie mile and the indie gp didn't line up this last time around but now it's a moot point because gp is not coming back to indy anytime soon it should be of note, though, that you uh, circulated a dirt quake on your hyper. I did on my hyper right? with knobbies, which was a horrible idea. No, it sure. turned out to be a really, really bad idea. Yeah, but it, you know, it was a good way to break in and try, right? So, dirt quake is this thing where they do, they go to this this uh, what do you call dirt quake? What do you call? How do you call a it? A shit show. That's what you call it. It is a shit show. It's an awesome shit show. Well, they, let's put it this way: we we didn't get there the night before. Apparently, most people did. When we arrived, I saw a man passed out next to a garbage can with in a blanket with his motorcycle apparently like he rode there and got there at like 3 a.m and just the thing's just on its side just curled up with him there was talk of a boat which i don't know how they found a boat but they found a boat and they decided to tie it to the back of a truck and then do donuts around the parking lot Safety paddock third. area and they're just it went flying and it's just a yard sale of human body parts that came out of it and i think the ambulance came i, I don't know if someone went to the hospital or not it was know. not good not enough people could remember due to that's the, the other side the fog, of it we'll call it the fog of war that's the only <laughs> thing that like really worried me like oh i had a great time during dirt quake i will probably get strong arm into doing it again if it comes back to the u.s which i'm sure it will the only thing i worry about is like i'm not sure how many of the competitors were sober day of racing which is a little worrying part of the shit show though i love it so i've done it two years in a row the yeah. first year i did it on the pond and i was really disappointed we weren't in the same class we got to be in the same class no we well, that we got there late and they wanted to they put me in the garden what is it like the garden kitchen gate. sink it's kitchen sink why do i say garden gate that's a normal I have no frame. idea um that's yeah so a, thing. a kitchen sink class where i should have been an inappropriate street bike but i have to say inappropriate street bike class was stacked full this year there was it was a lot of it was it. brutal yeah 
Yeah. And it didn't help that uh, Harley Davidson was one of the sponsors. So the Harley Davidson and Icon, who's another sponsor, brought out all their like pro, semi-pro racers. So I'm just sitting there just like, hey guys, what's going on? I got my Ducati here. <laughs> and they're just looking at me like, son. Meanwhile, I was racing against a snowmobile. Snowmobile. Yeah. Like a late. So that was. Sorry, mid 80s. I don't even know, like an old phaser, like Yamaha phaser. It was yeah. pretty interesting, right? Yeah. But that's the point. It was just fun. I was on a Multistrada 1200 yeah. with, with you know, rain, reins. reins on it. That's right? what I got to get next time. I got to bring reins. Yeah, that was the deal. I was stoked. I won my heat, though, so I was stoked about that. I won one of my heats. You you were doing good. You just, that start didn't help you. You didn't no, do any favors on the start. The problem is with the steel shoe on. Yes, I had a steel shoe on. I couldn't shift, so I had to run it in whatever gear. And when second gear, when I spun second gear up, I mean, it could launch with second gear, but if it, if I broke traction, I went sideways and I did, and it was just, you know, what are you going to do? And then the next time, and that was what I did in the heat. I even won that heat having done that. So I was gun shy and the next one I killed it. So hopefully next year they do it again. I would go back on the Terra Corsa because that was, I did, even though it was way more comfortable on the Multistrada, there's a much better visual with the Superbike out there. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we do it next year. Hopefully, I'll be able to to definitively say I'm doing it early and not just show up the day of like we did and get stuffed in a BS class. Right, right. Okay, so bottom anyway. line is I, uh, to, uh, it, I love it. I love flat track. Hopefully we can get more people tons to understand how awesome it tons is. Tons of fun to watch. Tons of fun to do. Uh, I definitely, this winter, I definitely, definitely, definitely. This is why you got to get a supermoto. I definitely want to go down to Salem I know. and take I'll my supermoto. I'll just go. I'll, I'll do it again on Nobbies. I'll, I'll go down there. I swear. I'll take the Christini. I'll go and I'll take the XR. I'll get Kevin Lake to come down. We'll get a bunch of people do it on XRs. It'll be a shit show, yeah. but it'll be a fun, easy thing just to get out, just to support you. And if you're going to yeah. go out and you're going to get the reins, I want right? to do it. I want to do it. I, I think I, I think I'm like just mentally playing with the idea. I just got to buy like a DRZ or something like another cheap supermoto just so I can pull you, Kevin, AJ, all of our buddies up here and go to the cart track and do supermoto, go to Salem and do dirt it's track on almost reins. November. You know what? This is going to be starting up soon. We got to do it. Yep. Got to giddy up. Okay. I don't next. think I don't think anyone listening cares about our. No, I know we're, we're, we got to stop. That's, That's why I fine. say next we get, we've lost them. Flat track, awesome. Uh, oh, the only thing I want to add to that at the AIM Expo, Yamaha debuted what they're calling the DTO seven, which was really cool looking. It was really cool, very well done. And and what I think some people don't know is that they're. I don't even know the name of the team. This is like this is how bad it is on the awareness level. But they're they're some people are racing Yamaha. Yeah. Uh, FZ 07s Sure in flat track obviously with a custom frame but they're using that motor that parallel twin motor sure which seems to be suited for it i think it did fairly well i have no idea who the highest level person is but it just takes a little bit of it's not the easiest thing to make any given engine go well on a flat track there's a very specific tuning thing that happens with them whether it be the ducati which won a mile but had to be tuned in a very specific way to get that bike to hook up. Sure. It's not just all horsepower. No, There's no, some no, of it, no. but an 883 Harley, or sorry, the the 1,000cc Harley that's been the winner of multi-championships over and over and over for the past 40 years, doesn't. it's not like it's the most powerful thing. It just has a very specific, tractable, awesome power that when the rider says, I want more torque, it's it's a very linear thing. When they twist the throttle, they get exactly what they desire, and they can go very fast doing it, right? The only other machine that was even close was the Honda of the 80s when they made the RS750. It was an amazing thing, and it worked really well. But over the past few years, a few of these other manufacturers' engines have come in. The Kawasaki parallel twin 
has been the most successful. In fact, I, I can't recall, but I'm pretty sure they just won the championship with Brian Smith. Anyway, that's a that that's a thing. If, if parallel twin, a twin of sorts, it has to. It doesn't have to be, but it's very. It favors it, especially a, a something that that's like two two hundred seventy degree crankshaft style uh, that that uh, seems long, to work. Long intervals well. between the exactly. The so yeah. Um, yeah, if if Yamaha is going to try and get into it more, or if they're just showing that just to get some ex, you know yeah. get some exposure, great. I was trying to figure out what was going on with that because it's. I don't know if, if that's a sign that Yamaha is going to get into flat track racing more. I don't, I mean, there was nothing about that bike that was going to be ready for public consumption. No, it was not a street bike. That so, is a one-off yeah. thing. It was so awesome. it's like one of the things, like, it's not like you're really teasing a new model. Is it, is it just trying to get awareness? Is it just a cool thing to build? It certainly sure got shared cases. a lot on social media just right off the bat. The place. You got the Bumblebee paint scheme, yep. right? I can see them just saying, hey, look at this Yamaha, right? And doing that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Uh, I think we have time for one more story. What do you want to okay. talk about? Uh, you, you list them off. Uh, or Rossi MotoGP. Yeah, we have Cross to. Tour. No, the noise canceling helmet. I'd say the Rossi thing. We Rossi. have to just because I, you know, I, I have. So we we have to be careful because we don't want to be conflicting with the other podcast. The Paddock you, Pass podcast. Right? So you want to make we'll sure leave it you to guys the professionals. To, you gotta listen to the Paddock Pass podcast, right? But this one, as you said earlier, transcends just racing. This The last race, which just happened, was in Phillip Island, and it was uh, arguably one of the best MotoGP races do, that's do, ever happened. Do you think it was the best MotoGP race in the past decade? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't definitively say that because I would have to review some of the other facts, and I haven't, but there's been some really good ones. So I go back to like Catalonia, and I'm just like, that for me will always stand out in my head especially the Rossi, Rossi Lorenzo, Lorenzo one. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why I say I wouldn't just blanket state that was the best. Um, but that always brings up an interesting thing is what makes a race good. And for me, the week before, the week prior race, it was it was a snoozer for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. But for me, it was a nail biter as a Rossi fan. So a lot of it depends on who you're rooting for. Sure. So if you got a situation like last week's race or the week prior's race where it's wet drying everybody's on wet tires and you've got a hard charging rossi coming through and all the implications of all the of the championship happening all at once that was a nail biter right a very exciting race for me but then the next race happens to be one of the more epic battles of four people when you've got four people in a helicopter shot on the last lap yeah. vying for position yeah. four people in a helicopter shot pretty epic i mean that's amazing so this is to see it and good racing nothing shitty right um no i mean what i mean what i mean by shitty is not just no hard passes right no, nothing, nothing that was just stupid yeah um that that was that, that added to it of course then you had the dead seagull from Inoni early in the race you've got the the ducati power coming on and showing itself you got the the rossi net and so the the story is is the afterwards and the interesting part that transcends it all is this uh rossi talking smack basically right he it, today or it was yesterday started yesterday start, yeah. it, the, at the thursday practice thursday pre-event press launch pre or pre-event press conference right so this I wouldn't say it's out of character, but it was a very weird thing to have Rossi say, oh, well, Marquez is uh, screwing up my championship. He is on purpose trying to help Lorenzo. And watching this, I'm like, okay, we all know Rossi is a master of Machiavellian politics, right? So why is he saying this? Because he's not the type of person that would want to say this because it almost sounds like either whining, whinging, uh, moaning, 
kind of, but not really, or calling somebody out on that, normally he would just leave that in his pocket and say, ah, Marquez is screwing with me. I got to get him. So what is the, what do you think is the reason for him saying it out loud? It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me other than oh, I'm just going to distract the shit out of everybody here so that they don't, they're not concentrating on the, on the race any longer. They're just concentrating on me. I think the easiest answer is 11 points. Yeah. It's 11 points. Rossi has to finish behind Lorenzo, directly behind Lorenzo, the next two races to, to maintain his championship. Or do, or or beat him, obviously do better. Yeah, than sure, that. sure. But at the minimum, like he can't afford to have a Marquez get in between him and and Jorge. But having Marquez get in front of Jorge is a good thing. Well, I would see that was one during the race. Sure. I'm like totally stoked sure. if, if Marquez would have gotten in front of him. And I was I'm not one of the people that was hating on Inoni, but I have to admit I was like, ah, oh, you're busting his balls. You could just help him get up to the front and then then challenge instead of keep on fucking, racing's racing man. oh dude but it was so painful watching you know and he kept on bulking him and then ducati powering past him i don't know if those winglets were giving him extra arrow oh my god it was amazing to watch him blast around but then not be able to keep it through the lap oh man it was tough to watch but in the end i'm stoked for Inoni, and i'm glad that rossi was able to tell all the all the stupid haters that were angry at Inoni. oh yeah to, to f off but i thought it was just blew my mind because i hadn't been paying enough attention to marquez but there's rossi with a timesheet saying look at he should have got, just gotten in front of of lorenzo and gone and i didn't i didn't know what to think about that it's it's well I mean, that's the thing. Like, you can sit there, and I think it, it all, totally depends on your perspective because you can sit there and, and say it's one thing, and you can sit there and you can say it's another because at the end of the day, no one really knows except Mark Marquez. And, and truth be told, like, my own opinion and knowing a little bit about these people, I don't think there's any, any shysteriness going on there. Like, it's just, that's just racing. And, and the beauty of what Rossi did, like you said, the mind games, the Machiavellianess of it. It's 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 one of those things like it's become such a thing now and people are talking about it so much, especially in the racing sphere, that it can not in any way I'm trying to think how I can say this without using a double negative. There's there's no way that Marquez or, or Lorenzo can ignore it now. It, sure. it has to be addressed, yep. it has to be talked about. It's gonna be in the back of their heads and whether or not that that makes them have a moment of pause or an extra piece of drive or whatever it affects in in the championship. We can't really tell, but it's going to have some sort of effect. It's going to have some sort of percolation into the stream of consciousness in like the Repsol Honda team and the movie Star Yamaha team. And Rossi, and frankly, maybe it maybe won't change any- anything, but it it's in there. It's in the, the and Rossi doesn't now. have anything to lose by it. When you think of it, absolutely not. All he will do is stir the shit, right? He might have to smell it a little bit, but he doesn't have to eat it. He's just looking around at it, like I'm just going to stir this up because right now I'm down 11 points. Or I'm up 11 points, and that's a very small margin, and I got two races. I would assume both at Rossi tracks. I think Malaysia and and Valencia, right? They're both. When mm, I say, I wouldn't say Valencia is a Rossi track, not not compared to Lorenzo. I guess I was. Th- it's not Jerez. No, it isn't. Yeah, sure. So bottom line is, he's not. He knows that he's not. He's not going into Givens, right? No, I, I would say. Yeah, I would say the latter half of the season definitely favors Lorenzo as far as like looking at records, but also. At the end of the day, you can't count. You can't discount a Mark Marquez. You can't discount a Danny Pedrosa. You can't discount now. I think. Oh, an I can and, totally Andrea. discount Danny Pedrosa. You're I a will hater. discount him. You're a he would be like a Kmart drink your, blue drink light your special. Drink your haterade and just be quiet for a minute because I'm <laughs> I'm still talking. 
<laughs> right. You know what? I'm on my van. I've got a blue light. It's a Kmart blue light special for freaking Mark or no, for not for Mark Marquez, for Danny Pedrosa that he, I will discount. Yeah, that I'm going to, I'm going to sneak to your house one of these nights and just put a big 26 on the side of your van. <laughs> Shannon will get, Shannon will put a knife through your heart while you sleep. If you do that. Yeah. I do worry about that. Shannon, I don't care. Shannon's craft. I think it's funny, but Shannon would not, she, she would not no. be happy with that at all. No. She has not let go from the Nikki Hayden incident, right? She's got to move on. All right, on. sorry I digressed on that, but I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. Uh, absolutely. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see uh, how it all plays out. And, um, you know, the one thing I will say, like, like Jorge Lorenzo is a very strong person mentally, but he he's also a head case, if that, if that dichotomy makes yeah. sense. Like, yeah. like, especially, like, having gone through the collarbone surgery myself and, and seeing what the recovery is like and, and what that's involved. Like, you have to be mentally tough to get your collarbone plated and race the next day. Like, that is, and that then, is, that then, is not for the faint of heart. Then that crash be, not too long after that and then redo and then it. And then redo then, it again. Like, right. that takes its toll. You have to have mental fortitude. That being said, I remember Casey Stoner would just get underneath Lorenzo's skin Marquez was so good at getting under Lorenzo's skin in the first year. Rossi is so good at getting under Lorenzo's skin. You know, when they were back when they were teammates before before this, you know, new period in time with them together. I can I can see Rossi being like, okay, I've got two th- two more races left. How am I going to give myself an extra competitive edge? Because I don't think you can be Rossi and be like, yeah, I've got this championship. I just need to get second places and i'm good to go no i think he's sitting there going like this is legit like i i do not have a firm grasp on this championship lorenzo could easily win in sepang he's going to be strong at valencia you know what can i do ah yes i'll give jorge a little bit of uh the old rossi treatment we'll see if it works oh man i love it because we're we're, we're looking at uh well by the time this podcast comes out our listeners will already know if we're right or wrong so we're either full of shit or we're geniuses well by the time this podcast it won't be valencia won't be valencia yeah you're right. this you're coming right. this coming weekend so. unless something horrible happens to me um yeah right <laughs> Jeez, don't talk about that man i will say this though t- what is it, 10 the potential for the 10th this is by far the most important for for Rossi fans, it might not be for Rossi because Rossi at this stage, really, he's he knows he's one of the greatest. He knows he's up there, high echelon. At, you could put him up against, like he's arguably as good, if not better, than, than Mike Halewood, than Agostini. Than, oh, I mean, he's up there, no doubt, right? So for him, though, to really put a stamp on it and to say, I am better and always will be better than Mark Marquez, to beat him in this championship and to beat Lorenzo, Oh man. I mean, for those it's of us, important. it's a salivating awesome yeah. thing. Cause then it will never like, he, like he could just disappear. He could say I'm retired the day after he wins a championship and that will, that would hold him as high as you possibly can. Right. Even though I know damn well, he's going to come back and eventually beat Agostini's record of wins, even though there hasn't been a 350 CC class for him to race in and on and on and on. He'll just keep going as long as he can. Cause he's obviously still having fun. And I bet he is just loving this now right he gets to play the mind games he gets to haul ass he gets to be on a good bike but obviously not the best bike and and still get in there and have fun oh it's got to be an amazing thing for him yeah yeah i think it's a good time for a rossi fan and you can see i was actually crunching the numbers and it'd be interesting to try and figure out if it's due to the uh, the economy or if it's rossi but all the tracks are up in attendance 5 10 15 percent this year over last year which is very interesting and i I don't know. I wonder if that has something to do Is with it the fact. Is it all the way through the year or just in this Every last... single track. Huh. That's good. It's good to hear. You know, part of me thinks of, frankly, again, you think of Machiavelli, you think of Bernie Ecclestone in Formula One, and you think of, what is it, S- S- uh, Ippolito? 
Vito? No. Or Carmelo Espeleta. What the hell? Where did I come up with Vito Eppolito? All right. Oh, you're thinking of the uh, guy in charge of the FIM. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so Carmelo Esposito. Espelita. Espelita. Sorry. I'm sorry if I'm butchering it. I I almost have it in my head that he's like, we need to create some drama. Valentino, come here with me into my office. Right? How can we make this the most dramatic end that we possibly can to make sure that it's cemented and that everybody wants to watch next year for the same? What fireworks are coming? Yeah, I don't right? know if I I don't know if I go that far, but I definitely think Dorna is sitting there just like yes. Oh, they're thank all about you. it. Have you seen the MotoGP website? Oh my they God. have been playing this up. Like I have never seen Rossi ver, hashtag Rossi versus Lorenzo. Totally. Oh my God. So that's what makes me think that there a little bit. There's a little WWF, not sorry, not World Wildlife Fund, WWE, <laughs> WWE now. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit that, of NASCAR. That's how old you are. Is you remember, you probably remember like WWC. Like no, the, I the don't. Because I could give a f about any. Oh, any, when, I was, when I was like seven, I was totally into it. Not a wrestling I was totally fan. Into it. Not not a fake wrestling. It was fan. real. It was real. Stop it. It's still right. Real. The, the Macho Man Randy Savage is that the guy? Oh yeah, Macho Man. I think he. Who, there was one of them Rick that's from Flair. Portland. I don't know who's from Portland. Hulk Hogan. It's kind of sad. I'll be honest. Like like now that I'm like an adult and I see like Hulk Hogan and I realize like what a nut job he actually is. Like like on stage, of course, you know they have that per, that persona. Yeah, yeah sure. And you're like okay, so you're literally dating a woman that looks like your daughter and the same age, and your reality show makes you look like a fucking nutcase. And the and your son's apparently a horrible person. <sighs> Well, so thanks for ruining my childhood, Hulk Hogan. I'm not really stoked that the last Ultimate two... Warrior, though, he's the man. Ultimate Warrior, the Ultimate Warrior. He died, I think. I, I think I think that's right. I'm I don't totally... know any of these people, man. I don't. I could. I'm give... talking to a wall right now. Why am Sorry, I friends but with I, you? What, but here's the deal: we're ending podcasts. Two podcasts in a row talking about muscle bound people, which worries me. It's a trend. Jensen. It's a trend. Mm-hmm. I'm not a. I'm not a big fan. Right. So bottom line is I think that there yeah, might be a little Ultimate Warrior died last year, dude. Yeah. That's sad. At least it's not Arnold Schwarzenegger perpetually traveling through time naked. Yeah, at least. All right. I think we need to Is that that it? We're done? Yeah, I think we need to be done. Yeah, I think it's a good show. Okay. I well, call it a show. It's a, it's a pretty good show. All right. That's yeah, all right. Okay. Well, I'll just say this. Rest in peace, Marco Simoncelli. That's right. That's right. Kick stands up. Oh jeez, we're still doing that. No, totally. Okay, great. Good talk. See you out there. All right, and we're recording. Let's do uh, a moment of silence for our dead homies. (laughs) All right, that should be enough.